This week on Geek Explained, with everything going on in the world today, many people look to comic books as a safe haven away from politics and real-world problems. And that's too bad, because this week we're talking comics and politics, starring the champion of the oppressed himself, Superman. Welcome back to Geeksplained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and man, it feels like it's been two weeks since we've talked. Oh yeah, it has. So, <laughs> um, if you weren't aware and you don't follow us yet on Twitter and Instagram, at Pod, uh, we took a week off. Last week, we were going to put out our first post-anime episode, but we decided to take a week off i decided because there were more important things going on um and i didn't feel like you know just having another random conversation about comic books was relevant with all the stuff all just everything that's going on in the world today that kind of sprung out of the horrific killing of george floyd by the minneapolis police department um the world, once again, as 2020 is um, has been uh, ought to do, is upside down, once again, with protests in f- all 50 states and around the world, um, calls for reforming and defunding the police, making sure that people who have uh, wrought injustices upon uh, the African-American community are brought to justice and... In the whole span of that, in the scope of everything, it felt kind of wrong to put out a podcast. So um, we took a week off, and we kind of I spent that time um, educating myself. I am a a POC, a person of color, uh, but there is always more to learn. Always uh, more time that you can take to listen and understand and learn about the experiences that. the black community faces every single day across our nation. So uh, we are back. We took the week off in um, in observance and respect of the movement that is going on. And uh, we'll be talking about that probably throughout this entire episode. But uh, this week's episode kind of sprung out of that. I took the time. I kind of scrapped last week's episode, to be honest. Because again, it just it felt like... Um, just having just a you know an inconsequential conversation about comics um, felt wrong with everything going on, and uh, don't worry, we will get back to those. But right now, it's more important to have the conversations, the uncomfortable conversations about how um, how things need to change, how things are wrong as they are, and they need to change for the sake of everybody. So uh, this week's episode has kind of sprung out of that. A lot of times I hear and I've heard throughout the entire, I mean, really my entire life, but actually a lot in the past couple weeks that, you know, everything is too political nowadays. Everything is so this and that social justice warriors and all this stuff. So if you are one of those people, this episode is not going to be for you um, because this is kind of going to be talking about um 
politics and comic books and how the two have this weird symbiotic relationship and i'm going to be examining that through the lens of the very first superhero superman because like it or not superman has been a very political figure throughout his entire comic book history and so that is what we are going to be focusing on this week uh we also have a double feature for our weekly review since we will be reviewing two episodes of harley quinn instead of one as well as of course this week's comics callback but before we get into all of that let's go ahead and check in with this week's news All right, guys and dolls. So we got uh, we got news. <laughs> we got news to talk about because we're basically catching up on essentially two weeks worth of news. Um, we have our four categories: film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Uh, we're gonna kick it off with comics. Uh, just one big old uh, piece of news when it comes to comics, and that is DC has officially announced that they are leaving their uh, relationship with Diamond. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, Diamond Distributing has been kind of the monopolized uh, powerhouse when it comes to comic book distribution all around the world. And Diamond shut down because of the quarantine, and DC has been really uh, on, kind of on the outs with them since then. And they made an official uh, announcement this past week that they will be uh, leaving their partnership with Diamond and utilizing the distribution companies that, the much smaller, mind you, distribution companies that they've been using uh, since their relaunch earlier this month. Uh, it's been working well for them so far. You know, comics are getting out to, you know, shops every single week since they started kind of shipping things out on Tuesdays instead of Wednesdays. But um, I'm not sure. We'll have to see what happens. Marvel did a very similar thing in the mid, I think it was like 98. It was somewhere in the mid to late 90s. Um, and it didn't work out well for them. There were a lot of issues that kind of rose from that. So we'll just have to see where this goes. I am all for getting comics into the hands of comics readers. But I'm hoping that this is a decision that is made for or I guess in the interests of comic readers and not in the interests of the uh, big old Papa AT&T corporations. So that is it for comics news. We're going to move on to TV news because we got four big pieces of news for TV. Uh, two in the DC realm, one with Marvel and one with uh, HBO. So let's kick things off with the HBO news because I think it's really interesting. Um Last of Us, we do know that Last of Us Part 2, the game, is coming out uh, later this month, I'm pretty sure, and uh, Last of Us HBO series has been announced, basically an adaptation of the show, and they just landed their first uh, director for their pilot episode. I accidentally closed out the tab that has the name of the director. Um, it's Johan something. Um, but what's really exciting is that he was uh, he was one of the directors of Chernobyl, which was an HBO miniseries that if you haven't watched, you should go watch it. I haven't watched it. 
and I'm going to go watch it. Um, but this is a huge get for them. Chernobyl was wickedly popular for um, HBO and really successful for them. So I think this is a definite plus. Uh, moving on into the DC news. They're both DCCW news. Uh, first off, they're, uh, they've kind of made the announcement that unlike what we thought a couple weeks ago when Ruby Rose announced that she would be leaving the role of Kate Kane and leaving Batwoman after the first season, um, they're not going to be recasting. They are leaving Ruby Rose as Kate Kane, um, maybe because they're hoping that she'll come back in some capacity later on down the line. I wouldn't bank on it but instead they are going to be bringing in a whole new original character for the lead of the show um i think this is interesting i think this is going to allow them to tell some stories that they wouldn't be able to with the kate kane character and that gives them a little bit more freedom on what they can do and you know what kind of stories they can tell with a new lead uh they have made the stance that the uh new actress whoever she may be um will be an lgbtq member um member like it's some kind of like secret society uh they will be part of the community and i think that's great i think that it's important that we keep that um in the family so to speak um making sure that they're they're strongly represented in a show that was all about representation so i'm really excited about that um but i will say that uh this would be a great time and i said this on twitter as well um, that this would be a great time to bring in Harper Rowe, who was a character um, created out of Scott Snyder's Batman run in the New 52. And uh, she went on to become Bluebird, and she hasn't really gotten a lot of play in the Rebirth era. But um, Harper Rowe would be a great character. Or Stephanie Brown. Hell, bring either one or both both of them would be great candidates who haven't gotten a an on-screen adaptation yet and it would make sense to bring in those kind of characters so i think it's awesome and i'm excited to see where they go with it now for some not so exciting news um the flash has officially lost the elongated man uh hartley sawyer has been fired from the cw uh flash tv show he won't be returning for season seven this is due to uh tweets and statements that he made uh years ago that have been unearthed recently which resulted in a lot of spotlight being put on his um really just awful comments uh he's come out with a statement saying that they were made you know for some kind of you know sick humor but you just you don't say stuff like that um i've met the guy i met him while working for uh warner brothers during their uh horror made here event last year last year two years ago two years ago um and he's he seemed like a great guy but i mean it's you know it's always that it's always the guys who seem really great who are secretly you know they suck um i don't know i don't know him like personally personally like i said i've only met him once but um this is you know damning evidence they've got um statements his whole twitter account's been completely pulled but um from the articles that i've read they've been statements about um about date rape about um racist homophobic comments and it's like it's really it's bad so they did you know, the CW and the showrunners for The Flash, you know, stepped up. They 
cut ties with him and it sucks because i love ralph on the show uh he just got sue him and sue just got together on the show and it's sad that this you know has to his character now has to suffer because the actor is uh, a less than savory person so um we'll see we'll see what happens um if they end up you know writing ralph off or where they go with that but who knows who knows? And then finally in TV news, uh, this is a big casting announcement. Uh, WandaVision, which is the uh, Disney Plus show that's going to be part of the MCU and is shaping up to be really, really cool, um, has made a really interesting casting announcement. And that's that Evan Peters will be joining the cast. Now, if that name rings a bell to you, you might have seen him in the uh, very little known uh, X-Men movies, specifically um Days of Future Past and Apocalypse, where he, and Dark Phoenix as well, where he played Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch's brother. Um, I think that's really interesting, especially because we already have a Quicksilver who died and was also rumored to be appearing, Aaron Taylor Johnson, appearing in WandaVision, though we haven't really gotten any kind of um, concrete uh, confirmation of that but bringing in evan peters in an undisclosed role i think is really interesting especially with you know this idea that at some point you know some point soon they're going to start working in mutants and uh bringing in evan peters who's arguably one of the most popular actors from those x-men movies uh would be a really really big get so um that's it for tv news we're gonna roll on into miscellaneous news there's no film news really this week so we're gonna roll on to our one piece of miscellaneous news which is as i talked about at the jump um all the stuff that's been going on in the past week um the murder of george floyd put a big uh kind of a big spotlight as you know these things are wont to do um on you know racism and police brutality throughout the u.s and it's been two straight weeks of protests every single day a different city in a different state is protesting um this past weekend as of this recording a huge los angeles protest it's been um really amazing kind of seeing the these people come together uh, fighting for racial equality and fighting for uh, social change. So um, all of that going on, you know, this idea that um, police should be defunded and reformed. Um, I don't want to get, I don't like getting too political on this podcast, which is hilarious because of the subject matter of today's episode. But um, this is an important conversation that people need to have. Um, the system is corrupt. The system is broken. So we need to fix it. So, um, I'll talk about that more later on in the episode, but just kind of giving you an update on all that. Um, like I said, this is, um, not going away. Not like the other times. This feels different. We've had different, um, occasions in the past, you know, the, murder of Eric Garner, Philando Castile, you know, these people who, Breonna Taylor, even recently, um, where it kind of felt like, you know, there was a week of outcry and then it just kind of like died down. This isn't going away. We are seeing the start of systematic changes to a system that is corrupt and broken. And so we will see exactly what happens. Um, 
I'll try and keep up with it. And like I said, I don't want the podcast itself to become like a political beacon, but these are important conversations to have, like the conversation that we're going to be having in our main course, our entree, if you will, which is probably the smoothest segue that I've done in a while. Um, It's a look at politics. It's a look at comic books, uh, how the two are intertwined and how the two represent each other throughout the years through the lens of the very first superhero, and that is Superman. So I'm going to start this off by saying that this is a complicated subject. Um, I know that's like the common thing for people to say like, oh, there's a lot of layers to this. And there are. There absolutely are. But um, a lot of times I hear that, you know, comic books shouldn't be political. Comic books, you know, they didn't used to be political. And nowadays it's all about, you know, social justice warriors and forced diversity. Um, I see it all the time. I see it in podcasts. I see it on YouTube. I see it in discussions on Twitter. Everywhere that you could possibly find discussions like this, you will find them. And there was a long time that I spent you know, growing up, you know, being an avid comics reader where I, you know, didn't know how I felt about political comics, about comics that talked about real world problems, comics that talked about, you know, racial inequality, that talked about, you know, government oversight, police brutality, all these, you know, issues that we are facing every single day, everywhere. And um, it wasn't until I started to take a step back and kind of look at what the world was and what the industry was that I started to kind of notice that specific things kept coming up. Stuff about, you know, there being a class inequality, that there were issues that kept popping up, whether it was... Um, in DC Comics, Marvel Comics, uh, whether it was with Captain America, Superman, Justice League, Avengers, however, um, I'd start to see these things. I'd start to notice these things. And as I got older and I started to learn more about what the issues were, I started to see them more often. Um, There is a great book uh, called What is a Superhero by Robin S. Rosenberg and Peter Coogan that uh, talks about how at their core comic books are and i'm quoting here a metaphorical way of discussing subjects such as immigration americanization american identity changing concepts of race and gender capitalism and modernism and i think that's you know that's a pretty you know on the nose definition that lays everything bare um but there are still a lot of people even, you know, especially in the past week that I've noticed um, who in response to different companies, different content creators, you know, coming out f- with their support of the Black Lives Matter movement that are saying, you know, oh, I'm boycotting this or I've, you know, unfollowed you or I'm not subscribing to you anymore. You know, politics have no place in my comics. And I've heard that for years. Um 
disproportionately, I think, more since a certain year, that being 2016. But um, I have, throughout my life, noticed that there has been a distinct... Um, I don't know if you want to call it like a drive or an effort to separate politics and fiction. Uh, there are people who say that, you know, fiction is a place that we can escape to. Fiction is a place that we can um, get away from real, real world problems and just forget about all that stuff. And granted, there are certain pieces of fiction, certain comic books that do allow that, that do allow you to kind of escape from your day-to-day -day lives. Um, and I in no way want to diminish the value of those pieces of fiction. However, um, I don't think that's what the goal or the focus of a lot of art is supposed to be. Um, there have been a lot of conversations that I've had with people in my circles about whether uh, comics are political or comics aren't political. And I have, you know, heard pretty much every argument you can make for that idea that comics are political, as well as many rebuttals to that idea stating that comics aren't political, that they are at their core stories made for children that aren't supposed to make you think any deeper than uh, you're supposed to. And I don't agree with that. I, at my core, feel like comics have been political for a very long time. And that's kind of what today's episode is about. I'm going to be looking at how comics have been not just a reflection of the, you know, society and the political commentary of the time, but they've often led the way when it comes to fiction. And I decided to kind of focus my, um, uh, focus my efforts through one single character. Initially, when I was kind of putting this episode together, I wanted to do a bunch of different characters, talk about each of them as they went through their lives. But if I did that, it would be like a whole, you know, th this would be like a seven to eight hour podcast. And I'm sure that there are one or two people who would be okay with listening to that, but I decided that I wanted to focus on one character, and that character is, of course, Superman. Um, why Superman, though? And the reason for Superman is because, at his core, he is the first and he is the best. And by the best, I mean for study, when it comes to this kind of stuff. Superman was the first superhero. Um, made his debut in 1938, and he has kind of led the way when it comes to how the comics industry, you know, ebbs and flows throughout the years. And Superman, I think, just as much, if not more, than ev any other superhero has changed with and reflected the times the most. So um, we're just going to go ahead and dive into it. I'm going to go through essentially kind of the history of Superman and his, uh, his relationship when it comes to uh, politics and uh, social issues. So uh, we're going to start off kind of setting the stage for his creation. We're going to wind the clock back to uh, the 1930s in the U.S., 
the U.S. and the world really was facing something called the Great Depression. If you do not know what that is, um, for those of you who um, either haven't gotten to that point in school or you don't remember what it is, the Great Depression was this huge monumental crash of our economy. Um, you've probably heard it referenced to uh, a few times in the past month or so, uh, especially when it comes to you know um, unemployment rates. Unemployment rates right now are the highest that they've been since the Great Depression, and that's not great. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the Great Depression was a you know it was a hard time for a lot of people, and. Even though, you know, we saw some of the uh, darkest aspects of humanity during this time, we also got one of, I think, the brightest aspects. And that came from the minds of two Jewish kids, two working class Jewish kids living in Cleveland, Ohio, that being uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Uh, there were two kids who were trying to come up with um, an idea for a story. They had been huge fans of science fiction, and so they decided to come up with a character called the Superman. Uh, the Superman that they first came up with wasn't really Superman. Um, if you look at him just based off of face value, he resembled more Lex Luthor. Than Superman, who's this bald-headed, angry uh, man who essentially was gifted telekinetic and telepathic powers and used them to kill his creator and then try to take over the world. Um, this character also uh, drew a lot of um, inspiration from Nietzsche, who was a uh, for extremely simplification um, was this. Um, European philosopher and you know came up with all of these ideas including something that became inherent to a lot of world events uh, past the 1930s which was the Ubermensch this idea that there is a you know perfected version of man who eventually would come to claim the world claim the earth um, and it was this idea that not just um, that influenced not just uh, Siegel and Schuster for this first draft of Superman, but also influenced the philosophy and policy and beliefs of one Adolf Hitler. And we will get back to him. Do not worry. But first, we got to take a look at where Siegel and Schuster decided to kind of change course. And after they came out with this first draft, they decided they wanted something that was a little bit more hopeful, a little bit more um, positive, something that they could kind of use their experiences growing up in the Great Depression and utilize that to tell stories that maybe other people weren't telling at the time. So they decided to come up with a second draft, which ended up being what we know today as Superman. Um, this started off with making a dual identity, you know, Superman and Clark Kent. Clark Kent being this, you know, meek, mild-mannered, uh, dark-haired, gla glasses, um, shy guy, which was really based on uh, Siegel and Schuster themselves. They've said this, you know, repeatedly in interviews that they based um, 
they based Clark Kent on themselves because they themselves were meek, mild-mannered guys wearing glasses and not feeling very confident about themselves in the world. Uh, the Superman aspect was more based on uh, science fiction characters like Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers, but they wanted to take the idea of that, those kind of characters who were you know, larger than life, could come up with... Um, these fantastical adventures and solve these you know insurmountable problems and they wanted to take a character like that and see what it would be like to drop him in the real world and so they came up with superman they came up with clark kent kal-el uh last son of krypton um who strangely enough also had some influences from their jewish heritage that's right for those of you who don't know um superman has a lot of jewish heritage within him uh siegel and schuster both being of jewish heritage uh clark kent's story even though you know throughout the years um has been likened to christ and jesus and all that kind of imagery uh, was initially an analog for Moses. He was, you know, sent from a doomed existence into the arms of loving parents who raised him as their own. Uh, the story of Moses, he is, you know, sent down the river by his mother because the Pharaoh tried to kill all of his people. And in this basket, baby Moses went. He was picked up by the um by the family of the pharaoh and ended up growing up uh f and fighting against that pharaoh who was you know using his power to oppress his people uh clark kent you know he was you know baby kal-el was sent from the destruction of krypton down and was found by the loving embrace of the kents who grew up to fight a you know, corrupt businessman who was utilizing his power to oppress people. You know, the parallels are there. And a lot of um, superheroes owe their identities to Jewish creators. Uh, Captain America also was created by Jewish creators, Jack Kirby, Joe Simon. Um, and a lot of uh, superheroes owe their you know, their whole uh, genre to the, to the Jewish idea of the golem. The golem is this uh, character, this um, device used in uh, Jewish folklore to be this uh, sentinel of justice who would fight for um, the people who were being oppressed. And when, you know, Superman was, you know, finally debuted in action comics number one he was debuted with that idea his entire log line at the very beginning of his first appearance was superman champion of the oppressed the physical marvel who had sworn to devote his existence to helping those in need superman didn't start off you know fighting aliens and you know sneezing solar systems out of existence superman started off fighting against corruption and social injustice uh, it might be a hard concept for people to grasp but superman at his core was a socialist when he was first created uh, in fact a lot of his um ideals represented 
uh, Siegel and Schuster's own belief and support for the New Deal, which was this big drive by uh, Senator Franklin D. Roosevelt, FDR, to try and turn the nation around. You know, they believed in this idea of beneficial big government drives focused on helping everyone. And Superman was kind of their tool to to kind of express their support for these ideas, these ideas of um, rooting out corruption and helping small businesses. A lot of his early stories dealt with that. Um, a lot of his early stories, you know, represented the ideas of the New Deal, specifically the uh, development of the Civilian Conservation Corps and the Works Progress Administration, which were focused on getting jobs for people who had lost their jobs during the economic crash. Um, Siegel and Schuster's support of FDR really drove a lot of the early stories for Superman in much the same way that, you know, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon's experiences in, um, in uh, the war, you know, influenced the early Captain America stories. And so... Siegel and Schuster modeled Superman off of this idea that everyone is equal and he was going to battle the separation between the rich and the poor, this uh, class disparity, and Superman was anti-big business and had, you know, all of his support thrown behind the little guy. Um, we've seen this before, um, you know, this idea that, you know, is very, I think, attributed to Spider-Man a lot. Uh, especially in the MCU recently, this focus on, you know, I'm, I'm fighting for the little guy. And that was Superman when he was first created. He fought against, you know, domestic abuse. He fought against poor living conditions. He gave hope to the poor and fought against corporate corruption. To him, no problem was too small, and he believed in fair play. Uh, what does that mean? Well, uh, we see a lot in... Uh, comic book stories nowadays that when uh people are committing evil acts they are you know straight up just evil uh we've seen that you know kind of permeate the comic book space for decades now but i think what is really unique about those early superman stories is that not only did superman fight against the injustices that he saw he took the time to explain to the people who were you know committing those injustices why what they were doing was wrong and you would see more often than not those characters go oh what have i done uh, he took the time to uh educate instead of immediately condemning them and that's a, oftentimes you know something that i think has fallen by the wayside whether it's in fiction or in real life you know we take the time to condemn people when we can take the time to educate them and superman spent a lot of time fighting against social injustice fighting against problems that were facing everyday working class people like jerry siegel and joe schuster and he also you know was heavily involved in the uh, ideas of immigration and foreign affairs you know he there was more than one occasion we're gonna get into all of his stuff with the kkk later on as well but a lot of his um belief system supermans during these early um 
these early stories kind of echoed a lot of the sentiments when it came to um, war and violence in the world at that time. Superman was very heavily anti-war before World War II. Uh, kind of this also echoed Jerry, uh, Jerry and Joe's kind of stance on the... Um, on where the U.S. fell, especially when it came to the Neutrality Acts in the 1930s. Um, a lot of times you would see Superman fight against corrupt munitions dealers. Uh, fight, there's one story where he fights against chemical warfare, and it's very heavy-handedly uh, referencing the war in Spain that was going on at the time. Superman was used and utilized as a you know, what people would call today a social justice warrior because he would fight for the oppressed and the people who were getting a really raw deal. And unfortunately, this um, this focus on, you know, fighting for the little guy, fighting against corporations, started to fall by the wayside when the world started to change. And that brings us to World War II, uh, the war and patriotism era of Superman, where... On December 7th, 1941, uh, Pearl Harbor was attacked, and the U.S. was brought into World War II. You know, the conflict had been going on for years before that, but the U.S. officially entered uh, the war effort in 1941. And we started to see this, um, this kind of shift and this ideological battle when it came to Superman during these early World War II stories. Uh, this idea of pacifism versus action was permeated throughout all of his stories at the time. Um, and you might be surprised to, you know, to learn that Superman initially, you know, didn't involve himself in any of those kind of wartime um stories you know we saw the rise of captain america sergeant fury and his howling commandos uh sergeant rock and easy company but superman was distinctly focused on dealing with stuff at home and they addressed it very quickly as soon as you know the drive for u.s troops to join the war effort went out by telling a story where superman would you know, Superman had to stay home because Clark Kent failed an eye test, you know, to join the army. And it wasn't that, you know, oh, he's wearing glasses. It was, and I think this is hilarious. Um, Superman failed, you know, those eye tests that, you know, they put a poster with different letters, uh, usually in like a pyramid on a poster, you know, halfway across the room and you have to cover one eye and all that stuff. Um Superman failed it because his x-ray vision accidentally made him read the poster that was in the next room, which I guess wasn't the same poster. Uh, so Siegel and Schuster very quickly decided we're going to keep him home. We're going to keep him away from this because we want to continue to put a focus on, you know, problems that were still affecting the U the U S during the time. Um, Siegel and Schuster were very anti-war. They didn't believe in involving, you know, themselves or Superman in the conflict. And they were more focused and more interested in continuing Superman's fight on American soil. This started to um, kind of uh, affect the way that they would write him. And 
pretty quickly after this, Superman was introduced to his very first supervillain, which was not Lex Luthor. His very first supervillain was the Ultra Humanite, who was um, this character who believed that he you know was superior and he was going to create a race modeled after him and he was going to wipe out the human race uh specifically in metropolis for some reason and you know his i think it was his second uh story where he utilized something called the purple plague which he was going to utilize to wipe the earth clean and you know rebuild it in his image and this was very much a commentary on hitler and his belief that you know non-aryan people are the scum of the earth and they need to be wiped out and so even though they weren't bringing superman directly into the war effort they were still commenting on their beliefs especially because hitler was conducting a war on their people on the jewish people and being of jewish heritage siegel and schuster couldn't just ignore that so they continued to tell stories about superman fighting not just against um social injustices but also the people who were trying to peddle the beliefs and ideologies of those in the axis but DC Comics, which was still really kind of getting its legs, um, wanted there to be a more active role for Superman in this uh, in this conflict. They saw how popular he was. They saw how much he could, um, I guess, how much spotlight he could put on for younger readers to the conflict that was going on. So with Action Comics number 43, they debuted this... Uh, this ad at the end of the book that was basically, you know, the buy defense stamps. We see it all the time when it comes to wartime propaganda nowadays. But at this point, it was still fairly new. We hadn't really seen this before. And, you know, it's Superman basically talking to the reader about buying defense stamps to support our troops and support the war effort. And this started to show a pretty distinct difference uh, between covers and content. Uh, as you know the war went on superman's covers became more and more focused on that war effort you would see um you know on the covers of superman comics at the time you know superman fighting against nazis flipping tanks you know rounding up um hitler and stalin and all of them but when you would open up the book the stories would still be about social issues and so they they were kind of using doublespeak, you know, trying to get people to buy the books to be like, hey, Superman's going to fight, you know, Nazis in this one. And then it's like, no, he's actually fighting against corrupt businessmen still. And so uh, really the only kind of um, content that would be referencing the war was uh, on the covers and in the letters page, you know, letters about um, the war effort, telling people to buy stamps. And then eventually... Um, there was a uh, there was an ad about you know join the Red Cross or the Junior Air Raid Wardens in Action Comics number forty seven. Um, during this time as well, they started to uh, not like peddle it, but they started to kind of test out this uh, the saying that Superman would eventually kind of become to know by um, this whole truth justice the American way their first kind of draft I guess was strength courage and justice when they would be referring to you know the war effort the American troops who were fighting for 
you know, peace and equality and all this stuff. And eventually they started um, adding in the Superman of the U.S. Army stories. These were um, stories at the end of each comic book that would chronicle um, stories of real-life soldiers who were either uh, veterans or they were part of the current war effort. And they slowly, we slowly started to see a shift in the content of Superman comics uh, that as the shift of focus in, you know, the U.S. went from fighting social inequality to fighting literal Nazis, uh, Superman started to echo the times. And he was officially drawn into those kind of conflicts with Action Comics number 52, which was the debut and subsequent only appearance of the Emperor of America. Which was the story, once again, similar to the Ultra Humanite, about this uh, this guy who was trying to um, basically install the um, uh, th- this like fascist uh, governing body over America, and it addressed a lot of the. Um, a lot of the fears that the American people had at the time of, you know, what happens if we lose? What happens if the Nazis roll in and they take over? And so this was a story about, you know, the possibility of that, how Superman fought against it, and of course he wins at the end. Um, Ten issues later, Action Comics number 62, uh, Superman had his first fight against an actual Nazi. Um, Lois Lane and other reporters were, you know, reporting on a nearby naval battle when a Nazi, who I guess had been knocked overboard, tried to take over their ship along with uh, his fellow soldiers, and Superman had to fight against him. And this was a, you know, at the time, as comics were wont to do, um, a big old caricature of what Nazis were. You know, he had the, you know, messed up face, the goose step, the Heil Hitler... Um, all of that stuff, and once again, Superman, you know, knocked him on his ass and sent him packing. Um, these stories, as they started to go along, uh, to kind of, I guess, counterbalance the cover of Superman, you know, tearing through tanks and fighting in a war, uh, became much less violent. The stories, I know, it's strange, um... The Superman stories of that era became much more focused on investigation and interrogation. Uh, There were espionage stories. Oftentimes Lois was going undercover and like finding out all this stuff and then Superman would go and interrogate people. Um, The focus on, like I said, the covers and the letters page were for supporting troops through bonds and propaganda. Um, This also started to uh, kind of change the way that comics would be seen when it came to uh, big issues, such as when Superman came up against the atomic bomb. Um, after the tests of the atomic bomb, after you know dropping uh, atomic warheads on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, um, a lot of panic went throughout the world because now we saw that there were weapons that could completely wipe out the human race and once again superman was kind of on the forefront of bringing that into fiction of letting people know like hey this is a super fun superman story but it's also about real world issues like a nuclear holocaust and the story initially was basically superman versus the mass hysteria 
that was going on because after the uh, debut of the atomic bomb, after the debut of nuclear weapons, there were a lot of um, there's a lot of paranoia, a lot of fear, rightfully so, because these were weapons that could wipe out the human race, and scientists were interviewed all over the place and they would all basically say like hey these are really serious and so there's a lot of panic in the world especially as we saw the closing of world war ii and our slow move into the uh cold war and that age of paranoia um superman there's a story where uh he is essentially poisoned by these um, by these evil scientists who are out to create mass hysteria, if that sounds familiar, um, with the world ending and all of this um, really bad stuff. And Superman cures himself of the um, of the effects of this poison by being caught in the nuclear fallout of an atomic weapons demonstration. Basically, the message here was that, you know, scientists are the bad guys and they are trying to spread hysteria and mass panic. And this atomic bomb gave Superman clarity again. And he was able to, you know, defeat these scientists. And the propaganda, once again, that went out through this book was essentially and I'm quoting here, warning against men who talk against peace. This is an actual line in the comic. And um, I think this is an incredible topic, especially with how kind of the nuclear arms race eventually grew over time. And I'm going to give a shout out real quick to Scott Nicewander and NerdSync on YouTube who have done a full... Um, a full video basically talking about Superman's history with atomic bombs. So um, that video is much more in depth than what I'm going to get into here. And I definitely recommend you go check that out because it is an awesome, awesome discussion on that. Uh, but post-war, post-war after we started to move away from this, you know, kind of black and white world of good versus evil and started to move into varying shades of gray, um, Superman 2 started to shift his story started to change and they started to echo the kind of the values of the time uh his stories became less about you know fighting against evil and they started to have a growing emphasis on conformity and structure which was hilarious because at the time the cold war was going on there was a lot of paranoia about communism and the red scare and all that stuff and so during this time we also got to see the birth of the comics code authority now for those of you who don't know uh comics code authority was this institution that was set up to basically judge and censor comic books um they were the driving force behind the direction that the comics industry went for a couple decades and it's um it was during this time that they started to impose kind of their doctrines on how comics can be utilized you know the good guy always has to win the evil guy can't have any redeeming qualities you know they're there are limits and censorship on gore and blood and death and violence. And there was a bigger emphasis on like romance and stuff like that. Um, there was 
also at the same time that this was going on in the 40s and 50s um this focus on uh just peace and diversity we talked about this a little bit before about superman having a um basically having a stance on immigration because at his core superman is an immigrant um but we started to see that the that the more violent stories of um the war and pre-war superman uh started to shift to romance and domestic tales you know every week it was a story about how lois is trying to compete with the girl of the week for superman's love and stuff like that um and there was a big emphasis on post-war domestic values which started to equate to boring stories and it was this kind of um stagnation with the superman character that allowed a specific group to put a spotlight on another problem that was going on in the u.s that being the revival of the ku klux klan and blatant racism so this brings us to 1946 and the audio drama story the clan of the fiery cross which was a i believe it was a 16 part serial on the superman radio show uh superman at this point had grown to such popularity that he was afloat in the macy's day parade he had um i believe it was kirk douglas play him in a um in a you know movie serial um and black and white movies and stuff like that and he had also birthed a superman radio drama which you know aired i believe it was like each week or every day maybe um but this radio show gave us a lot of the stuff that we know nowadays as superman staples they gave us jimmy olsen they gave us kryptonite they gave us superman flying all of the stuff that we kind of equate to what superman is now can be traced back to being established and um, started in this radio show. But this specific um, serial, this specific 16-part serial on the Clan of the Fiery Cross was this subversive crusade against the Ku Klux Klan, which at the time had started to resurface post-war. They did this big, you know, burning of this giant cross in the... um, in the midwest and to kind of like signal that hey you know bigotry is alive and well and uh this story you know basically the uh team behind the superman radio drama wanted to put a spotlight on this but they didn't really know how to do it enter stetson kennedy who is kind of like a real life clark kent he was an investigative reporter who went undercover within the kkk alongside the anti-defamation league to kind of learn about them learn about the practices learn about um their beliefs and try to kind of root them out from within and um stetson kennedy was brought on to the team to kind of discuss his experiences uh talk about what he was reporting on and that allowed them to tell this story of the clan of the fiery cross and i don't want to get into like every single beat by beat but basically the clan of the fiery cross story is about uh really about jimmy olsen and his friend uh tommy lee who is a chinese american kid who recently moved to metropolis and has joined the uh local you know baseball team uh this 
kind of pissed off the original uh, pitcher of that team, whose uncle happens to be a member of the Clan of the Fiery Cross. And so this kind of escalates into uh, the clan openly, you know, declaring war on Tommy and his family, since they are Chinese. And this results in all of these stories of, you know, talking about the fight against bigotry, about how um, the idea of the clan is based not on this actual belief, but is, you know, these corrupt and greedy uh, rich people trying to prey on people who had this ideology and steal their money. And it was groundbreaking at the time. And it was essentially, you know, Superman versus the KKK, which without actually saying those exact letters. Um, and thankfully, you know, the villains at the end who are the clan are routed and Superman is able to, uh, defeat the bigoted uncle of the, uh, of the original baseball pitcher who realizes the error of his ways and his, uh, biases and his prejudices towards Tommy and their team wins the baseball game and it's awesome. Um, you can see that story. Uh, it's all on YouTube. The 16-part uh, audio is on YouTube. Uh, you can also read the book Superman vs. the Ku Klux Klan, which is an awesome book that I um, that I have read, I would say, at least two or three times. And you can also, if you're looking for a visual representation, you can check out Superman Smashes the Klan uh, by... Um, Jin Lun Yang and Gurihiru that came out last year. One of my favorite Superman stories of the past, you know, 10 years and really of all time. Um, but basically this story and this audio drama started to show the shift in Superman and how he would tackle these new problems that weren't as uh, black and white as fighting Nazis. Um, around this time, I believe it was in 1949, we also saw the debut of the diversity poster, which a lot of people um, are aware of, and I think you've seen this in some manner or another, which is basically, you know, Superman standing with these kids, and he says, and I quote, <clears throat> And remember, boys and girls, your school, like our country, is made up of Americans of many different races, religions, and national origins. So, if you hear anybody talk against a schoolmate or anyone else because of his religion, race, or national origin, don't wait. Tell him that kind of talk is un-American. Keep your school all-American. Which is a sentiment that I think is still relevant today. It really is. And I think it's exemplified by this quote from the audio drama, which I'm going to go ahead and play here. Remember this as long as you live. Whenever you meet up with anyone who is trying to cause trouble between people, anyone who tries to tell you that a man can't be a good American because he's a Catholic or a Jew or Protestant or whatever, you can be pretty sure he's a rotten American himself. Not only a rotten American, but a rotten human being. I think that speaks for itself. So moving on, as the years started to go by in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, um, Superman started to kind of represent the establishment. Uh, we started to see that he was kind of more focused on being uh, American than being, you know, this original idea that he was, you know, the champion of the oppressed. He kind of became what 
a lot of people would describe as kind of a tool of the establishment. Um, specifically, in Action Comics number 398, uh, he fought against uh, rock music. Uh, there is this band, and it's... I think this is hilarious. Um, there's this band called the Astronauts who are just completely ripped from the Beatles. Like, it's uncanny. And... Um, Basically, they're using their music to mind control the youth today, and it's during this, you know, you know, he fights them, he gets them to see, like, oh, rock music is just, you know, a tool for these, you know, mind-controlling bands to get people to do what they want, and it's very, like, it's very establishment, and it doesn't really um, jive with what Superman was, you know, initially created to represent, um... You know, we also saw throughout this time stories that put an emphasis on space exploration and communism and the Red Scare and stories that were much more focused on making, like I said before, Superman more American than um, than a superhero. You know, the truth, justice, and the American way was never more prevalent than it was here. Um, however... This did change in 1987 with the release of the film Superman for The Quest for Peace. Um, I know it's a terrible movie. We talked about it on the podcast. Uh, I did that episode with Matt Draper, uh, one of my favorite episodes. We went through his entire history on film, and it's a bad movie. It just is. Superman for The Quest for Peace is a bad movie. However, the stance that it took politically and the reason that uh, Christopher Reeve signed on to do the film in the first place was because the film was about nuclear disarmament. You know, the scene there's a scene very early on in the film where Superman, you know, takes all of the world's nukes and just throws them into the sun. And of course, this turns into the nuclear man and all this stuff. There's a bunch of um, of allegories within that film, which make me kind of respect the film a little bit more, not by much, but a little bit more. Um, but this was Superman's first big step back into the political conversation, or it would have been if not for a little known story a year before in 1986 called the dark Knight returns. Um, I have to talk about this just because Superman, when it comes to politics and social commentary and all that stuff, uh, you can't think about, or you can't really talk about, uh, you know, comic books and political commentary without talking about The Dark Knight Returns. Um, this was a story that did not show Superman in the best light. Uh, in this story, you know, we have Superman going up against Batman, basically being used as a tool of the government and specifically of Ronald Reagan. Like the president in that book is Ronald Reagan. There is no ambigu ambiguous like, oh, it could be anybody. It is straight up Ronald Reagan. And I think that should be done more often. You know, we see a lot in uh, superhero stories that, you know, the, uh, the president is just, you know, this random guy or this random lady. But um, I think the stories that show who the president is at the current time um, 
at least for me, they resonate a little bit more. But anyway, um, this story is, I think, personally, as a Superman fan, kind of a character assassination for the character. Uh, Superman in this story is reluctant, he's passive, he's used as a deterrent for the U.S. government, and for me, he's not Superman. Though I can see how he was the idea that Superman had become in those decades, the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. Uh, because he was used as, you know, somebody who kind of represented the establishment. And I get that, but at the same time, um, the use of him in this story is horrendous. And um, it's written by Frank Miller, who I have gone on this podcast and have spoken about the idea that he does not fundamentally understand Superman. He just doesn't. Um and that's why probably that Zack Snyder pulls all of his material from Frank Miller. I said it. I said what I said. We're moving on. Uh, <laughs> and this was kind of the status quo for Superman during the 90s. You know, with the it was kind of represented as like the decade of trying to find yourself. Uh, the U.S. was kind of trying to find its identity in the 90s. It didn't know really what it wanted to be, and Superman kind of followed suit uh, with him dying, you know, him being replaced by four other people, him coming back, um, all of these stories that were really just kind of treading water when it came to Superman. And that brings us to the 2000s, specifically a story in 2001 entitled What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way? Um, this story for me is the start of a return to form. He's reclaiming his what his truth is, what he was supposed to be at the outset. And that is someone who challenges the status quo and doesn't represent it. Um, and I think it's hilarious, and I completely forgot about this, um, that this story that was later adapted into a movie called Superman vs. the Elite, is one issue long. If you have the DC Universe app, you can read this one issue, and it covers the entire story. It's incredible. Um, but basically, this story alongside um, kind of showing how Superman kind of turns his... Um, his image of outdated into a classic image uh, also talks about the violence that we saw, the hyperviolence that was utilized in the 90s and going into the early 2000s. Um, Superman faces off against a group called the Elite, led by Manchester Black, who are absolutely for, you know, killing criminals and not believing that they can reform and all this stuff. Um, but Superman, you know, goes and fights for what he believes in at the end of the story he kind of you know fakes out everyone by seemingly killing all of manchester black's uh people while in reality actually just you know disarming them and knocking them out but he gives this really impassioned speech where he talks about you know you know i'm sure that you know watching me do that was scary it was scary to do but that's not what I'm about. I'm never going to be that person who believes that might equals right, that, you know, you should kill people and that, you know, there is no saving people. You can save people. And Manchester Black echoes something that, again, a very well-known uh, movie director who might have uh, his cut of a certain DC movie coming out next year, um, said, if you believe that, 
if you believe that people are good at their core, that people can be saved, and that the world isn't as messed up as it is, then you're living in a dream world. And Superman says, yeah, maybe I am. And he says, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but, you know, he basically says, you know, dreams are what lift us up. And I have a dream that our world is going to get better and I won't stop fighting until we reach that dream. And this was, for me, this kind of beacon of like, oh, wait a second. Superman knows what he's talking about. And Superman, you know, it kind of echoed the ideas of the original Superman. This idea that he had, even back in his first couple stories, of educating versus condemning. Of fair play. Of trying to save his villains instead of trying to kill them. And for me, this kickstarted a journey back to what made him so great in the first place. Uh, nine years later, there was a story, a very divisive story called Superman Grounded, um, that basically had the task of connecting Superman with the America of today. He, you know, stepped down in the East Coast, walked his way to the West Coast. And even though the story itself um, kind of goes off the rails and becomes a little bit more fantastical as it goes along. Um, most of the first half of the story and, you know, select bits of the latter half of the story, just like his early run, focused on social issues. You know, there's a, an entire issue. It's one of my, it's probably my favorite issue of that story uh, that focuses on domestic abuse. You know, it's an incredible story. Uh, they also had stories on workplace corruption. You know, there's uh, all these stories within this one that, you know, make you think like, oh, wait a second. Like, he's starting to talk about these issues again. He's not focused on these, you know, world-ending, universe-crushing uh, stories that we kind of become accustomed to when it came to Superman. You know, Crisis on Infinite Earths, Infinite Crisis, even, you know, the story that immediately preceded this, uh, New Krypton which was this huge, like, world-shattering story, uh, this was the story that came directly after that. And I thought that that was incredible to take this, you know, minor story and minor, um, not minor, but more intimate, more focused story that, you know, you more often see with characters like Daredevil or Spider-Man nowadays and really giving it to the person who kind of, you know, who kicked off that kind of fight when it came to those kind of characters. Um, and this really started to culminate with uh, Action Comics number 900 in the next year, 2011. This is pre-New 52. Uh, Action Comics 900, besides being a celebration of the character, uh, focused on a story near the back half. Um, it had a bunch of stories in there. One of my favorites is Life Support, uh, written by Damon Lindelof of uh, HBO Watchmen fame. Um, with art by Ryan Sook. It's an incredible, sad story about Jor-El talking to the scientist who helps him uh, build the pod for Kal-El to escape uh, Krypton from. It's a great story. But the story that I'm going to focus on here is called The Incident, written by David S. Goyer. I know, weird, uh, with art by Miguel Sepulveda. Um, this story is pretty much just uh, Superman talking to a government official uh, in a forest and kind of flashback flashes back multiple times to events that had just recently happened and uh, it's focused around this uh, conversation that they're having about Superman showing up at a protest this protest in Tehran about um, 
basically it doesn't really get into specifics about what's going on there but it's you know it eerily echoes a lot of the stuff that's going on today where the police are you know arming themselves against what look to be peaceful protesters and superman doesn't say a word he touches down stands with the protesters for 24 hours doesn't move doesn't say anything um and then he leaves and even though he you know doesn't make a speech he doesn't you know attack the police or anything um this agent is like you have made a statement here you have made a statement that you are siding with these these you know quote-unquote oppressed people and superman you know makes a stand and he's like they were oppressed these are people who are shouting for justice because no one will hear them you know he says this um iconic line from this issue that truth justice in the american way it's not enough anymore and he this is the issue where he decides he's going to revoke his u.s citizenship and become a citizen of the world now whether you know the story following that was good or not is i think irrelevant this story was about him taking a stand with people who were exactly the type of people that he was fighting for at his inception these were people who were being oppressed who were who were shouting for change who needed you know a beacon of hope to let them know like hey we're fighting the right fight and superman represented that um following this of course uh we didn't really get a whole lot of time with like what this story meant because later on that year in 2011 we got flashpoint and flashpoint of course led into the reboot known as the new 52 and while the new 52 in its you know five years that it was in existence is an incredibly mixed bag um i do want to spotlight a specific story with superman um, and that is the arc Truth in tw in 2015, uh, written by Greg Pak, art by Aaron Cuter. Um, this whole thing is kind of the culmination, or I guess leading to the culmination because he dies after this. But uh, <laughs> this really is kind of the result of, I would say, like at least a year of stories leading up to this. Uh, Superman develops this ability called the Super Flare or the Solar Flare. I like the Solar Flare because it also reminds me of Dragon Ball, but people call it the Super Flare, where essentially Superman would turn his heat blast into this giant-like nuke where he would just explode from all angles. Uh, it's an AoE attack for those of you who are uh, video gamers. Um, and it would basically make him human for a day while his body recharged and so multiple uses of this started to see that he would uh, get his powers back you know it would take longer and longer for him to recharge and then uh there's this whole story where superman you know is being killed by these robots and lois lane to save him exposes his identity to the world it's you know it's not the best story but um, it kicked off this story of Superman being brought back down to his roots. Um, and not just, you know, his, um, his ideological roots, also his physical roots, his powers. Uh, Superman was depowered in this, and yet, strangely, empowered. Um, Superman got a lot of his, you know, passivity kind of, 
you know, chucked out the window and became a much more active character. Uh, Superman was kind of reduced back to, you know, being just really strong and really fast and could punch really hard and could leap instead of fly. Uh, he traveled on a motorcycle and he was wearing a t-shirt. I have a statue of this. It's probably my favorite, you know, Superman arc in the entirety of New 52. Um, but what this story does, because Superman after... Um, basically being depowered and having to go on the run with his identity exposed, heads back to Metropolis, where he finds that the people in his neighborhood, where he was living as Clark Kent, uh, have come out in solidarity for him. They've set up, like, this whole block where they call, like, Kentsville or something like that, and they're all showing solidarity and support for him. And it's during this story that we get to see Superman combat a problem that he hadn't faced in a while and a problem that is incredibly current right now and that is police brutality um you have probably seen if you follow the same people that i follow um the image of superman in his t-shirt costume holding these chains standing between protesters and police um the story itself is a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, the people who are there aren't really, like, protesting. They're just showing support for Clark Kent and Superman, and the police are there because this is an unlawful assembly. And this story is incredible. Um, the initial story arc of this is only, like, three or four issues, but um, it is striking just how current that that story feels even today um superman standing with his people seeing you know police brutality at its finest finding out that you know this officer who is perpetrating these um these acts of police brutality is actually an agent of the um of wrath one of the seven deadly sins and how that ha is a commentary on the idea that police brutality is being just is stoking the fire of anger and all this stuff. It's a beautiful story. It really is. Um, but some of the most compelling and profound bits aren't even part of the main story. After the conclusion, you know, all of the uh, police officers are under review basically to talk about how, how did this guy who was this, you know, black slime creature who was focused on hate, um, you know, able to inf infiltrate the department. And then there were people, you know, there's a scene of some of his fellow officers who are sitting there waiting to be reviewed talking about like, I don't care what they say, you know, he was a good guy. He just had, you know, some problems, but what he stood for, blah, blah, blah. And that's stuff that we are talking about right now. You know, this idea of a few bad apples, you know, not, you know, representing the entire police force is a current idea. And it's also wrong. <laughs> I can't stress how wrong it is. Um, even the, the, uh, the phrase, a few bad apples, people seem to forget that the, f that the full phrase involving that is a few bad apples spoils the bunch or the barrel or whatever. But the idea is that a few bad apples turns the entire bunch bad. You know, a few, if, if there was, and I'm going to rip this straight from John Oliver, uh, last week tonight, it's a wonderful show. Um, if we were looking at, maybe it's not John Oliver, it's somebody, um, 
if we had a you know an airline that basically said you know we have you know a few bad apples you know for the majority you know of us we you know our pilots like to you know make these flights safely and they like to land but a few bad apples like to crash the plane you would not fly that airline because it represents not just these people who are given the opportunity to ruin people's lives but the fact that you were allowing them to continue in a system that should not allow that to happen is just unfathomable it doesn't make sense to me um but that scene along with superman coming home um, to his apartment, his Clark Kent apartment, and seeing that it's been broken into, ransacked, and the words "Go home, alien" have been spray painted on his floor, um, is also incredibly profound. Um, he goes at one point and he realizes he's like, "I have to leave. I have to leave because um, I'm first of all drawing too much heat on you, and then second of all, you know, the people who were brutalized by the police in this." story um stopped looking toward to superman to save them not just because you know superman is depowered and everything but they started to look out for each other and superman tells jimmy he's like people are taking care of each other that's all i can ask for i have to go so that i can not only get to the bottom of this but to hopefully influence other people to do the same and that's so inherently superman and i love that um and this continued on into the rebirth era past the death of the new 52 superman where we saw an evolution in the in the role of superman whose role shifts yet again from you know just blatant superhero to a father he has to teach his son morals and values the entire superman rebirth run is one of my favorite superman runs of all time regardless of era um but there is a specific uh, arc that I do want to spotlight here. Um, it's the arc Road Trip, issues 27-28 of the Tomasi Gleason Superman run, where um, Superman and Lois, Clark and Lois, take uh, their son John basically on a road trip to Washington, D.C. Um, and throughout this road trip, they are educating John. They're talking to him about the government. They're talking to him about their history of the U.S., um, while at the same time, they are not just educating John, but they're celebrating John. They're celebrating, you know, bringing the two, bringing their family together. They're celebrating how they are able to um, talk about these kind of issues and how the world has grown, politics have changed, and that you need to make up your mind for yourself. And it's a beautiful story. Um, a little bit further on past this as well in action comics number 987 i believe that was written by dan jurgens um i'm blanking on the artist i'm so sorry but um there is a scene where superman defends immigrants from this gun-toting you know maga and i'm just gonna go out and say it he was you know this maga supporter who um is like these you know these immigrants don't speak the language and they're you know trying to take my jobs and he's you know he's pointing a gun at them and trying to shoot them and superman you know basically tells him he's like they're not ruining america the darkness in your heart is ruining you and it's again it's a just a minor scene in the scope of that entire issue but it is profound it is serious and it is current today just as much as 
um, the truth story from the new 52 just as much as action comics number 900 and just as much as his original appearances in 1938 superman has always been political in the same way that comics have always been political and i'm kind of rounding everything up in conclusion here um just basically to say you know that people who believe that comics you know comics didn't used to be political i'm sorry to tell you you're wrong like there are outliers of course that have never touched the idea of politics but comics as a whole the comics industry has always been political as kids we just didn't understand it i talked about at the beginning of this um of this segment how i started to pick up on things as i grew up because i started to learn about what those things were when i was a you know a a dumb little kid you know i didn't know anything about police brutality or classism or the you know the poverty that has stricken you know the world i started to learn about those issues in school but i also started to learn about those issues in comics in the media that i consumed you know the people who are saying like oh they didn't used to be political are kind of ignoring the fact that they always were we just didn't understand it at the time and that we were naive to that and once you learn about this you can't go back to being naive you can be ignorant and that's your choice but there's a difference between being naive to the world and choosing to be ignorant to the problems that we face on a day-to-day basis politics and social issues are at the heart of the genre of comic books and superman is just one example you know the x-men captain america wonder woman green arrow green lantern so many different characters have all had arcs and stories that are based on social issues and political strife you know you can say as much as you want that you know oh this character is forcing diversity or oh this character is a social justice warrior and i like to go back to the true you know version of the character that didn't deal with all this stuff they always did superman always has there's this great quote by tony morrison who said all good art is political there is none that isn't and those that try hard not to be political are political by saying we love the status quo and that's that's it it nailed that hits the nail on the head you know this is a systemic problem that has been going on for decades and the fact that people are starting to speak up about it that people are starting to use their voice use their platform to talk about these issues and have these uncomfortable conversations is incredible and it's been happening since the dawn of the superhero era Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster used their platform to tell stories that mattered to them and to put a spotlight on the social injustice that was going on in their world. You know, Siegel and Schuster were just working class kids who, you know, yearned for a better tomorrow. And so they told a story and used their platform to talk about racial inequality, to talk about poverty, to talk about all of these things that are still playing us today and that's why it's been so amazing to see all of these people all these people in media all these people you know all these influencers i you know that word sucks but you know these people who have a following use their platform to talk about these issues um and that's why i wanted to talk about this you know i 
have a moral obligation to use my platform to talk about these things, to talk about the the reality that these issues matter. You know, it's not Superman. We've talked about Superman, obviously, for this entire segment, but um, Uncle Ben said it best, with great power comes great responsibility, and we need to use our power of having these platforms like podcasts, like Twitter, like social media like youtube and talk about these things and make a stand the same way that superman has for over 80 years so i don't want to be ambiguous about this in the same way that superman wouldn't be in the unambiguous about this uh so i will go ahead and say trans rights are human rights arrest the killers of brianna taylor defund and reform the police stay home and wear your mask and above all else black lives matter It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And this week we got a double feature because we're reviewing not just one episode of Harley Quinn Season 2, we're reviewing two. The episodes uh, Bachelorette and Die Hard. Die spelled D-Y-E. First off, last week's episode, Bachelorette, uh, episode 9, was fun. It was a bachelorette party on Themyscira. Uh, The bachelor party was on a boat, I guess, and later on kind of evolved into King Shark's family drama. Uh, We also got to see a big spotlight on the Cobb Squad, which was fun. Um, And it furthered the story of Harley Quinn and Ivy, you know, kind of dealing with the aftermath of their kiss and Harley's feelings. And so... This episode, I think they like they ended up sleeping together like twice, I think, at least twice. Um, but by the end of the episode, of course, uh, Ivy decides to stay with Kite Man, and it's a fun episode. It's kind of a heartbreaking episode, and it's you know it's back to the kind of more grounded stories, even though part of it involves a ripoff from The Little Mermaid doing like a whole musical number about pooping in the sea it's weird um but this week's episode entitled die hard um i thought was really good i thought this was really really good um and mostly focuses on harley being alone this is post both of the uh, bachelorette and bachelor parties um she is you know shaken by ivy kind of you know, I guess rebuking her, uh, basically telling her that she is going to get married to Kite Man because she loves him. And so Harley decides to try and distract herself in a way that I think is more um, more relatable and more interesting than the whole, oh, I'm going to try and distract myself by going to Apocalypse and getting a parademon 
you know, army. This one is very personal. She decides that she wants to go out on the town, sleep with somebody, and ends up walking into Wayne, you know, this uh, swanky dining establishment in Wayne Tower. And it is here that she has a reunion with the Joker, or at least, you know, the man formerly known as the Joker. I don't know if we ever got a name for him, but he's just this mild-mannered bartender. And the two of them, you know, have a conversation about it. Uh, there's a hostage situation. There's a moment where, oh, it's amazing. Um, Harley hits one of the uh, henchmen trying to, you know, rob everybody with this experimental ray that ends up giving him cancer just after he was talking to one of his fellow henchmen about getting out of, you know, the life of crime and, you know, settling down with his wife and his kid. It, it's just, it's dark. It's really dark. And, you know, they... Um, Kaylee Cuoco and, um, oh, the voice actress for Poison Ivy. That is going to bother the hell out of me. So I am going to, um, real quick vamp while I look for Lake Bell. Lake Bell. Uh, Kaylee Cuoco and Lake Bell unequivocally told people during an interview Harley Quinn is not for kids, it is not a kid's show. Um, and this episode is a prime example of that. Um, while all this is going on, uh, Gordon is working with Batman to kind of get rid of the remaining parademons that were left from uh, two episodes ago. And Gordon's, like, figuring himself out, but at the same time, like, he's still really uh, attached to Batman. And Batman, because he's still recovering... Um, is basically having to give directions to Gordon while um, while still recovering in, in the Batcave. So he really can't do anything. He's almost more of an Oracle-type figure right now. Um, but this all this episode kind of culminates in the in Riddler's Revenge, who is jacked now from running in that hamster wheel powering um, their home base. And it's here that we find out that Dr. Psycho has betrayed the team and teamed up with the Riddler. Um, I didn't see that coming. I will definitely say that. Um, but it makes sense when you think about it. Uh, and this results in this big throwdown at the top of Wayne Tower. Uh, really, really good stuff. The action choreography is great. Um, Dr. Psycho, you know, using his ability paired with this you know experimental helmet to turn king shark and clayface against harley uh, and gordon was really interesting and then we got this really sad moment you know the sacrifice of cyborg man um their you know super jewish landlord it was really sad and beautiful and touching um, it was really good and then at the end of it you know they're able to escape with their lives basically and uh, Harley finds out that the man formerly known as Joker has these recurring dreams of his life as Joker and that he might be the key to bringing back the Justice League from um, from the book that they've been trapped in since last season. And so she brings him to Ace Chemicals and you know it's going to happen. She's like asking him, are you sure you can't remember what happened in this book, where they are, what's going on with it? And he's like, I'm sorry, I can't. She's like, well, I'm sorry too. And she throws him into the vat of chemicals, which means the Joker is going to return. Uh, we, I kind of knew that this was going to happen eventually. I didn't 
think that this was going to be kind of the route that they went to make that happen. But um, I'm interested. We've only got, I think, three more episodes left. So we'll just have to see what happens. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to next week's episode. Or I guess this week's episode, this coming week episode, the next episode. And we will be talking about it next week, of course. But for now, we're going to roll right on to this week's Comics Callback. Welcome back to this week's Comics Callback. This is the segment of our show where I talk about five comics that I think you should go back and read. Whether it's on Comixology, the DC Universe app, or whether you just go to your shelf and dust off your old copy of the book. Last week, we talked about comics to celebrate Memorial Day. This week, category is Fight the Power. These are books that I think are having hard conversations about all the stuff that's been going on. Um, If you thought that all the politics talk was going to be reserved for just one segment, oh boy, howdy, this must be disappointing for you. Uh, These are books that I think um, talk about systemic problems. These are books that address those problems. And these are just overall really great stories. Um, So let's go ahead and dive into the list. First off, we have Batman White Knight, Written and illustrated by Sean Gordon Murphy. I've talked about this book before. It's incredible. We'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis, and then I'll talk about the book. The man known as Jack Napier embarks on a quest to heal the city he once terrorized. After reconciling with his long-suffering partner, Harley Quinn, he sets in motion a carefully plotted campaign to discredit the one person whom he views as Gotham City's true enemy, Batman. His crusade exposes a decades-long history of corruption within the Gotham City Police Department and transforms Napier into a city councilman and civic hero. But when the sins of his past return to threaten everything that he has accomplished, the distinctions between Savior and Destroyer begin to break down for both the Joker and Batman alike, and with them, any hope for Gotham's future. So you kind of already heard it in the synopsis. Um, I did a full episode as part of Joketober last year, um, so you can go ahead and go check that out if you want like a more in-depth look at the story. But um, this book really is speaking to a lot of the stuff that's going on today. Um, police brutality, you know, they talk about class warfare, uh, corruption. It's all in this book, and it's um, through the lens of Gotham City, which I think, you know, we all kind of, as comic book readers, look at as like, oh, that's like the worst city in the world, but like we don't ever really talk about why it's that way. We don't talk about like the system inside of the city that allows for it to be that way, and so this shines a really great spotlight on that and how, you know, one man's war on crime can have unintended consequences and that's you know applied to both batman and jack napier it's a great great story that has a lot to say and i definitely think you should check it out next up we have luke cage noir written by mike benson and adam glass with art by sean martinborough uh this is of course part of the noir line of marvel comics but it's also just a really freaking good story um we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis and then we'll talk about the book A lot can change in ten years, and rarely for the better. 
local legend Luke Cage, invincible, unstoppable, and flappable, finds that out the hard way when he returns to the mean streets of Prohibition-era Harlem after a ten-year stretch in Rikers Island. All he wants to do is be back in the loving arms of his woman, but certain powerful men have different plans for Cage. Willis Stryker, Cage's childhood friend turned godfather of Harlem, wants him on his crew and under his thumb, and wealthy white socialite Randall Bantikoff, whose wife is now very dead, murdered in a Harlem alley, wants Cage to investigate her death. Cage is about to learn that coming home is never easy, and to survive, he might just have to kill a whole lot of people. Now, this story is really interesting um, because it takes a problem that we are experiencing right now and puts it in the, uh, I guess, the frame of 1930s. Uh, I love the noir line. It's fantastic. There's so many good stories. And this one might be one of the best. Um, This story talks about... uh, racism the story talks about uh class warfare the story talks about police brutality it talks about all of the stuff that we are facing right now all the stuff that we are trying to address with protests and you know hashtags and activism and it puts it in the framing of a noir detective story which i really like i'm a sucker for a good noir detective story um, and seeing characters who, you know, we've seen before, like Tombstone, like Luke Cage, through the lens of the noir um, universe is really, really interesting. And it also has, like like Batman White Knight, a lot to say. And a lot of times, a lot more to say, because it's through the lens of its main hero, Luke Cage, who has always been at the forefront of uncomfortable conversations when it comes to race and inequality in Marvel Comics and in comics in general. It's a fantastic story, a great read, and an awesome uh, story about finding the power. Next up, we talked about this earlier in the uh, episode, but it bears repeating. Uh, Superman Truth, written by Greg Pak with art by Aaron Cuter. Um, I talked about this already in the main uh, course of this episode, but this is definitely, it had to be on the list. So we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Superman's secret identity has been revealed, and his powers are failing him. But not even that can stop the Man of Steel from protecting the innocent when a mysterious shadow monster appears in Metropolis. But the biggest threat Clark Kent faces when he returns home comes from the people he once called his friends and neighbors. While some still stand by him, others, including the Metropolis Police Department, are fearful and angry. Too angry. Is this just a reaction to Superman's deception, or is there something more insidious infecting the people of Metropolis? Clark knows he needs to regain their trust, but in his weakened state, can he even survive long enough to try? We've talked about this before. I love this story. It's a great commentary on everything that's been going on right now, and it's you know, through the lens of Superman, who has always, as we discussed in this episode, been at the forefront of social and economic uh, uncertainty. So it's a great story, and it's, as I said before, one of my favorite stories in the New 52 in general. Next up, we have one of the big heavy hitters, one of the very first comics 
in the history of the industry to really shine a light on these um, social problems, and that is Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Hard Traveling Heroes. Written by Denny O'Neill with art by Neil Adams, it is essentially the gold standard when it comes to uh, talking about social issues through the lens of DC Comics. This was the first comic to really put a spotlight on inequality when it came to how that affects our DC superheroes. Green Arrow has always been a very outspoken character when it comes to those issues throughout his history in the comics, but bringing in someone like Hal Jordan and kind of making him face front and really have to deal with the reality of his white privilege is an amazing story. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. What does it take to be a superhero? Where should a superhero stand in society? What is important to a superhero? These are all questions Green Arrow aims to ask Green Lantern by forcing the space cop out of the stars and onto the ground, where real issues are festering. Together, these hard-traveling heroes traverse America and a few alien landscapes to understand how the world is not black and white. Poverty, corruption, pollution, racism, and drug addiction are only some of the issues the Emerald Warriors face. This is a groundbreaking story. Uh, this features that iconic uh, page where Green Air or not Green Air, Green Lantern is faced by a black man who says, "You know, you protect people, purple people. You protect people who are green, who are all of these different colors. But you, I don't ever see you out here protecting black people. Why is that?" And Hal Jordan doesn't have an answer for him. Um, this story also puts a spotlight on the drug epidemic uh, with that amazing My Ward is a Junkie story where they put the spotlight on Speedy and his heroin addiction. This is a great, great resource if you want to look at how comics handle uh, political and social issues and don't shy away from them. It's an incredible story and absolutely is worth your time when you're looking for something to really talk about the problems that face our world but for me the big comic the one that i um keep near and dear to my heart is uh sam wilson captain america written by nick spencer with art by daniel acuna um this is an incredible story that was cut short way too soon and um spoiler alert this isn't the last time we're going to be hearing about the story on this podcast um, but this overall is just an incredible story about one man trying to make a difference with the odds stacked against him. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. When Steve Rogers could no longer wield the shield, Sam Wilson stepped up as an all-new, all-different, and very much all-his-own Captain America. The public is divided, and when a reinvigorated Steve returns to share the mantle, the protests grow louder. Sam keeps fighting on the only way he knows, but is the world big enough for two caps? And as Sam is pulled into the shocking events of Marvel's next big event, will he and the world have to choose? It's just, it's so good. It's a comic that I don't really think got the love that it deserved when it was coming out, um, especially when, you know, we had 
you know, Steve Rogers, Captain America, Secret Empire, Steve Ole, all that stuff um, going on because this story deals with all of the same issues that we are talking about, that we have been talking about, that have been spotlighted. Uh, talking about immigration, talking about poverty, talking about class warfare, talking about racism. You know, Captain America is a black man in this story. Sam Wilson is an African-American man who has had to deal with prejudice all of his life. And now he is on the grand stage of being Captain America. And so he has to struggle with what that means. He has to struggle with media. He has to struggle with people having expectations of him. He has to struggle with his own um, his own identity. Like how how is he going to put his stamp on being Captain America? How is he going to wield the shield? And it's a story that again, like I said, is cut way too cut short way too soon, but also says a ton with the time that it's given. It's an amazing story about a man who is facing insurmountable odds and still chooses to be the best of us, even when it's not easy for him. And dealing with all these social issues of the idea that, you know, when Steve Rogers comes back, people want, you know, the real Captain America. And when they say the real Captain America, they say the white Captain America. And how he has to deal with that and deal with the changing times along with it. It's just a fantastic 25 issues that you absolutely need to take the time and go back and read. Even our neighbor's dog, if you can hear them. Our neighbor's dog is a huge fan of Sam Wilson, Captain America. And especially if you are going to be watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier later this year, if it comes out later this year, fingers crossed still, it's supposed to come out in August, and that would still be one of the best birthday presents. Um, this is a story you need to read, because my hope with Falcon and the Winter Soldier is that they take the blueprint of this and they run with it because this is a story that absolutely needs to be told and absolutely needs to be experienced. So that is it for this week's comics callback. To recap, we have Batman White Knight, Luke Cage Noir, Superman Action Comics Volume 8 Truth, Green Lantern Green Arrow Hard Traveling Heroes, and Captain America Sam Wilson. And that is going to bring us to the final segment of this episode, which is the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us, um, this is a hell of a start to your listening experience with Geek Explained. But if you enjoyed what you listened to, please feel free to subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. Also, give us a rating and review, especially on iTunes. It really, really helps us out. We're trying to grow the podcast, and I would love to get more reviews. And if you do write us a five-star review, I will read it here on the podcast. We have one right now, and I did read it. Um, but I would love to read more. So let your voices be heard um, and give us those ratings and reviews because it really just helps us out and gets us kind of into the orbit of listeners just like you. Kind of wrapping things up here, we talked about a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff, a lot of heavy, uncomfortable stuff that we uh, talk about in this episode and it's, um, it's not going away anytime soon. There are issues going on right now that need to be addressed, that need to be focused on and need to be put out in front of the world so that they can be solved. And I know I'm just one guy, um, just kind of spouting off his stance on things, but that's kind of what this is about. That's kind of what uh, we're supposed to use our platforms for, to talk about issues and uncomfortable things that need to be addressed. So um, 
once again, uh, thank you for listening. It is uh, a crazy world right now. I'm actually, this week, I'm heading back to work. Um, I'm I'm nervous about it. I'm nervous about it um, just because, you know, COVID hasn't gone away. Um, But here in California, they want their restaurants reopened. So I'm going back to my day job this week. Pray for me. Uh, (laughs) And uh, you can count on us getting back to our normal schedule. Uh, We talked about earlier at the beginning of the episode, we took a week off kind of in respect for the movement and for people whose voices need to be heard. Um, But we will continue to uh, put out weekly episodes like we have been. Um, Thank you for all of the positive feedback that we got for anime. It was a ton of fun. That month was a little bit stressful at times, but uh, I had a great time talking with the three guests, and I would love to have more guests on the show. So feel free to follow us on uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, at Pod. Let me know who you would like to have on the show. I would love to get more guests to talk about all the nerdy stuff that we talk about on this podcast. Um, so... Uh, also, I uh, don't want to forget this. Um, in the description of this podcast, I know that a lot of people are, you know, they want to help, but they don't know how. Um, some people can't go to protests, whether it's, you know, COVID related or whether they don't want to be in big crowds or they're fearful for the backlash that peaceful protesters have had in the past couple of weeks. And it has been appalling. If you want to help, you have the means, but you don't know how, donate. There are plenty of organizations that could use donations. Um, I will do my best to link a couple of them in the description. Feel free to do that. These are amazing causes that absolutely need support with all the stuff that's going on right now. I have made donations, and I hope you, if you have the means, are able to do the same. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening once again. Tune in next week, same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.